Hi guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits A Mitrap Podcast. What's new this week, Mike? Hey, not much. I'm glad this morning, though, we were able to get a golf date on the calendar now that spring is upon us. Spring is sprung, baby. We're ready to go, ready to golf. Yes. Got a little wedding to go to. We'll both be there. Gonna take the golf clubs. I don't think we'll have time to take the microphones, but maybe we'll do a little rap on rap from the golf course for our patrons. Got to. Got. We haven't done one in a long time, so. Yeah. They deserve it. It'd be a little preview for when you're going to come uh, play a couple rounds this summer with me a bit Penn National. Yeah, yeah. That was cool. Thanks for inviting me to the, the family trip, the Furmans and the Hughes, Pennsylvania sure. golf outing, and I'm included. What a, I, yes. I feel honored. Uh, it's, it's a blast. It's a lot of drinking, a, a lot of golf. <laughs> I've heard about this for you from years, so I, I'm glad I can finally imbibe. Yes. Also, since we last potted, we officially announced our episode two, or episode two, season two, and we're getting some good feedback, man, including from Brad Thor himself. He said he's pumped and ready to go. Loved seeing that. Awesome of him to chime in on the Instagram story, and I'm sure he'll be present on social media. And maybe we'll get a date around Rising Tiger when that comes out to have him on season two of No Limits, the thriller podcast. Can't wait. We're uh, I'm done with uh, lines, so we got we got to talk about that soon. Just excited to get back into books, man. I mean, but I'm, I also like doing these episodes. I I, I like them both, but uh, right. It's excited to start something new. Oh, speaking of something new, did you see the teaser for the Terminalist? I I was I was gonna bring that up too. That looks sick. Holy crap! It's July first, right? July first. Mm-hmm. But that teaser, dude. Can you imagine when we get a full trailer? It's oh. gonna be sick. Did you see the tomahawk in that final scene? Yes. Oh, they had to put the Winkler in. That that just proves to me they're doing the right things. They're on the right track. Oh yeah, for sure. It looks good. Chris Pratt looks good. The little bit we saw, I'm excited. Good stuff, good stuff. All right, well, Chris, what are we covering on today's pod? This is one I I know you maybe haven't been looking forward to. So, you know, we're we're wrapping up our season one here, and we thought it would be only fitting to revisit the very first topic we talked about, and that is term limits. And it's it's kind of been a running joke of mine. I'm not going to come down, you know, spoiler alert, I'm... It's all been a little bit of a bit, me saying that Term Limits is is not a good book, um, just to get a rise, pretty much just to get a rise out of you, pulling your chain. You enjoy um, that. but It's you know, easy it's just, to do. It's very easy. But I thought it would be interesting, considering you know how much we've morphed from the very beginning, we've now completed all of the Mitrap books, and let's go back to Vince's first book, which, you know, again, doesn't have Mitrap in it, and not only reflect on how we've grown as a pod, but reflect how this book has grown on us. Maybe now that we have, you know, our, a bunch more information and, you know, the way we analyze these things, you know, we're not going to do a complete, we're not going to go beat by beat like we did the first time around, but, you know, we want to hit a few things and just discuss it again with, uh, with some new light. Yeah. And who knows 
if we get some good feedback, if you guys like this idea, maybe this will be the first in a in a rewind series. We can go back, rewind the tape, and revisit some of the old school Vince Flynn books. You know, the feed when we're in season two, stay subscribed. We'll be occasionally adding to this feed when new books come out. Maybe Chris down the road we pick another one to rewind back to and and cover a second time. I just don't want to go back and and rewind executive power. That's probably my least favorite book. Let's do Pursuit of Honor next. <laughs> or that one. <laughs> I I'd like to go back and reread Extreme Measures after our last week's talk about Mike Nash. Like I that that all the Nash talk really got me hyped for those books. You could just do just read Nash's parts, you know, through through those right. books. I, listening to our chat about that again, I was like, man, I really want to reread this one. So that that's a good idea. That might come down the road. But something I something else we both did was went back and listened to our term limits episodes. And besides a terrible audio quality, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that <laughs> we were brand new to the podcast game. I was listening and and I recalled a lot of the the points that we made. Agreed with most of them, disagreed with some of them. Things definitely evolved. So this is going to be a good experiment. But something that also came up when I re-listened was we had shouted out our first Twitter follower ever. Let's give a shout out again because Stan R. Mitchell is still with us on social media. You can find Stan at Stan R. Mitchell. He is a Marine and an author. I was able to pick up one of his books, Hill. 406 about uh, two marines and this marine infantry unit in afghanistan it was pretty awesome definitely made me want to pick up more of his book so stan we appreciate you our first twitter follower you got a shout out 100 episodes ago thanks for being with us you know this this brings me to a point i wanted to i want to say we should uh do an nft of his like first follow or something like that <laughs> or we should All do right, an Jack nft <laughs> we should do an nft of like our favorite mid-trap cover or Vince Flynn covers and see see who would buy those. Dude, I'm pretty deep in the crypto space, so don't get me started on NFTs. Although I'm down right now. I really I, I really <laughs> need this to run you know, run back up again. <laughs> I need to own an NFT of something, you know. So Oh uh, dude, I got plenty. I'll hook you up. Nice. Nice. <laughs> All right. Now, you know what else happened close to a hundred episodes ago? And something that I've continued to do on the podcast to this day. And that is to share my thoughts on each and every book in the form of a limerick. Was this our first, my first limerick? It might have been. It might have been. It's either that or then you did one and then you went back and had to, and had to make this one. I forget. Maybe. I don't think we had limericks ready by episode two, three, four. No, it was something that like happened organically like a couple episodes down the road. I think when I did it for either transfer of power or third option, you're right. I had to go back and write this one. So I thought I'd give you a throwback. The term limits limerick. A blonde-haired assassin we now love. Knew which politicians to get rid of. As fat cats in DC play. Coleman makes sure that they pay an adventure previously undreamed of. The first book he self-published, companies considered it rubbish. Rejected for years, he didn't shed any tears, 
a thriller universe Flynn would establish. Pretty good for your first one. You, you've gotten better. You've grown as a poet. Which is pretty they good. have evolved. That's correct. Yeah. All Established right. with rubbish. Like that's, uh, that's stretching it there. But I'll, I'll allow You know it. I break the rules. My, my, my rhyming doesn't always work out. I, I'm going to call it free verse limericks. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So, Mike, do you want to share with the uh, listeners another little tidbit that you, we sort of had talked about maybe doing this a, as an episode, but I don't know, after listening to, trying to listen to one of these, I just, I was like, no, we, we can't do this. Maybe enlighten the listeners on what you did to prepare for this pod. I, I guess an apologies in order, or a mea culpa. I, I listened to the abridged version. I did it, folks. I, I did. I, I, call me a hypocrite. Well, tell them why you had to do it. You're like... Maybe this is what they were intended for. And if so, I could be a little more understanding of why these things are published. I went back. I said term limits. I read it a bunch. I loved it. But I don't have time for a 14-hour audiobook right now. Because it's a long book, right? This is a pretty big book, right? Even on double speed, I just I was like, I'm not going to have time to get ready. And then I clicked and found a four-hour audiobook, and I got to admit it, it was kind of appealing to me to be able to listen to a book in two in, hours on double speed in two hours, right? So I think if that's the purpose for you to go back and revisit a book you've already read multiple times, I might get behind this. However, however, that's the, what. Sorry, I'm going to stop you there. One of the best parts about rereading a book is rereading everything and like picking up on little nuance. Sorry, continue, continue. No, that that's it, dude. Was it fine to help jog my memory on the gist? Sure. Sure. Did I really fall back in love with the characters? Not really. Skip maybe came up once or twice. Half of the wow. cool shit he did was not there. Stansfield pops up out of the blue eventually because he plays a big role in the ending of the story. So it, if you didn't know the characters and how they were established in the universe, it could just seem like they're popping up out of nowhere to serve a plot device and you very quickly get lost because you're just getting names thrown at you. But at the same time, it was nice that I was able to recap almost the whole book. Yeah, it, key important stuff was not there. And if anybody ever thought it was okay to tell a friend to get into Vince Flynn and they listen to an unabridged or an abridged version. Huge disservice, huge no no, big mistake. But it kind of jogged my memory. So I, I don't know. I, I don't like them, but it served a purpose. The only reason I could see why these things exist, and again, I understand why like abridged versions of, I don't know, like, you know, audiobooks on like self help or like, not self help, but like, I don't know, like Guns, Germs, and Steel. If you wanted to listen to like an abridged version of that where Makes sense. the author probably takes everything. I like that book, by the way. Um, you know, takes his core theses and then cuts it up into smaller chunks. Like, I get that. But a thriller novel that is not not that long. The only thing, the reason I can think is like people who only listen to audiobooks and are just intimidated by 10 to 16 hour like reads they, they right. just want something quick I, that's the only reason i could see and i guess it serves like some niche audience I, I i'm really intrigued i want to talk to david you know if 
if he knows like how many abridged versions sell, you know, if he could just give me that number, is it, is it obviously they keep making, they keep making these things for every single book. So do they for every book? Well, for every single Vince Flynn book, there is really, okay. And Brad Thor ones. Cause I, half the time on overdrive when I, before we had scribed, which they don't sponsor a podcast, but I do like scribed, you know, I, every now and then I randomly, the, the library would only have a bridge. And I'd be like, what the hell? Really? I think that does a huge disservice. And now actually having listened to one, it's a huge disservice if somebody were to pick that up as the their first, first interaction with that author or in that series. I, I don't like it. I really don't like it. All right. Can, I mean, not to put you on the spot, but can you say what are like the top two or three major things that were just missing, cut out? In terms of specific scenes, the killing of Turnquist, which was that house where McMahon does the investigation and you see right. how good Skip is, right, was just totally gone. I will say they kept almost the whole helicopter scene, and that was like really well done. Oh, oh, the biggest one, dude, Speaker Bassett. Do you remember? The assassination where they went oh, into like the from docks. a CNN, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're, he's coming right. out like of a press conference, right? Not a press conference, but like an interview, right? And they set up in this building by sneaking through the metro and going through the ductwork to get yeah. up in this building, take the shot, put out the smoke or fire alarm, and then exit the building with the crowd. All gone, a hundred percent gone. The speaker didn't even get assassinated. Oh man, wow, that's just like cutting the plot. Well, they did all the other assassinations. So Fitzgerald, the opening one, where they drug the dog, all that stuff. Okay, okay. They did um, Olsen, Olsen's limousine getting blown up, which was actually the inside job by Stu Garrett right. and Mike Nance. Right. Because they had to, because blowing up Olsen, who was O'Rourke's friend and mentor, almost like an uncle to him, that gets Mike to be more sympathetic to right. Scott and the right. assassin. So. They kept things like that that worked for the plot, but I can't believe they saw the Speaker Bassett scene where Jack Warch. Remember, that's when Jack Warch is on the ground, and that's when you see the Speaker ignoring the protection detail and saying, right. like, no, I'm going anyway. Right. So that was gone. Yeah, it was it was a bummer. And then Skip, when Skip came on, he didn't really do much. And so you're like, why am I supposed to love him so much? If you didn't get to really see him doing his investigative work. Yeah, because honestly, probably Term Limits is, is where he shines the most. Like he's, exactly. he's brought up and is a is a player, but like you could tell that Vince loved this character. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that, that has aged the best. Uh, you know, if we want to segue into our next uh, sort of, you know, um, bit here. But yeah, Skip is, you know, we already talked about Skip, but Term Limits is his best book. You really like sort of it, this book is interesting how it's like split up into multiple like mini books almost because yeah. Vince decides to to focus on the FBI and you know Skip's dynamic and, and his dynamic with his boss. Then you have the whole assassin like plot, and then like you begin to see Vince's like intrigue with Irene and and uh, Stansfield and like how he sets them up to be like these major power players in the game in the system, and then you have like you know the politicians you know the 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 thing that. Vince likes the best. And then I, I feel like Michael O'Rourke is almost like him. Like, do, do, do you get that? Like, in, on 
re-listening to this, I, I almost feel like he placed himself as that character. Like, that is him. Yeah. Michael O'Rourke. Such a great character. And I want to put... Yeah, he was a Marine. So also something we know Vince had an affinity for. Right. Getting into politics? Who knows if Vince ever thought you can actually change the system by getting into it and trying to work it from the inside? I think that was maybe an avenue, creating Michael O'Rourke to play with the idea of the good guys on the Capitol Hill. Even though he doesn't want to keep the job, he's about term limits, not for him, he's going to leave. But he at least tried to make a difference. Or maybe Senator Olson, you know, someone who did right. have a good head on their shoulders, were for the working class, you know, the middle class, and wanted to fight for them on the Hill. So, yeah, I see that. But I'm going to say it ages well in that he was a great invention. I don't think it ages well the fact that he disappears. Yeah, that, so that that's one of my age, ages the worst is the fact that he, he comes back. What is he? Is he in Content to Kill um, a little bit or uh, he's in one yeah, of them? One? Yeah. And it's almost like just an homage to like, all right, my readers who read Term Limits, I'm going to bring them back for you. But, you know, that's that's about it, right? I felt like he could have been a, a interesting character for rap to sort of play off of, especially, yes. you know, he's going to be on the hill. He's only going to be on the hill for a little bit, but you know, th that character could have gone on to be different things, you know? So, yeah. Especially like this deep connection with Scott that he had and the fact that yeah. Scott yeah. was the one. So yeah, you can see that Vince is sort of laying out this world, right? world building. I I would love to have also asked him if he already knew he had the idea to do transfer power and like had Mitch's backstory before he like came up with this or like he's making all this. And then while he's doing this, he realizes, Oh, this is where I want to go. You see these little like threads that he, he places and obviously he wants to pull and, and, and go run with them. Uh, Stan and I and Irene being one of the main players, but yeah, Michael, he just like sort of just leaves it out there. It's in it, Never, never pulled on again. Kind of yeah. disappointing. Yeah. Can you imagine if Mitch and Irene had an ally on the hill that wasn't just somebody they turned? Like right. eventually they turned Lonsdale. And there's a couple other people, right? That they Fer Ferris, they blackmail Ferris into like Ferris. doing, yeah. Right. Most of them, but they just you... blackmail. Yeah. Exactly. Can you imagine if they had a friend on a deeper level of like, you can trust him as much as you would a Scott or a Maslick, and he's on the hill, your eyes and ears, you know, that would have been really cool. And imagine he eventually gets put on like, I don't know, the Senate Intelligence Committee or something like, sure, somebody convinces him to work in the government, put up with the bullshit, but kind of be that force for good. It would bring a little balance to the committee hearings to have someone with integrity in those committee hearing meetings instead of it being so black and white. Mitch and CIA good, politicians corrupt and bad. You know, there could have been this middle ground because I think that's the hero we also want. Sure. Yes, we need the heroes who are larger than life, special SEAL, commando, CIA, assassin people. But something that would make the thrillers, I think, more digestible and identifiable to people is a hero which could really exist. Someone who goes to Congress for the right reasons, says and does the right things, and keeps winning because of that. I think it could have yeah. worked great. 
And I think that's probably why most a lot of people really like Irene and Stansfield mm-hmm. because those are the kind of people. I mean, yes, there probably are people that are like Mitch Rapp, but they're probably I know they're definitely people that are like Irene. You know, like that. True. Maybe they're not directly the director of of the CIA, but you know they work at the CIA. They're you know that kind of people. Yeah. Do you think like Coleman or not Coleman? Do you think O'Rourke could have ever been president? That would have been interesting. Uh, you know. Does he seem the kind of guy that would yeah. run for for president? But that's the thing he he does not. He even says, "Fuck this, I'm out of Washington." But aren't those the people we all want to see make it right. in Washington? In Washington, like, yeah. okay, let's say Michael O'Rourke came back two or three books after this. What or who could have been the one to convince him to run again and try to serve on a committee where he'll actually be listened to? Try to get a leadership position on the Hill where he can actually influence legislation without having to play partisan politics. Like, that could have theoretically happened. It could have been a Stansfield pushing him in that direction. You know, in his dying days, he not only wanted to unleash Mitch and Irene on the world, but Stansfield also wanted to have an effect on the legislative landscape. That would have been kind of a unique dimension. Right. Yeah. So. Or or Scott. Maybe, Maybe Scott pushes them to do it. Maybe the way Scott reformed could have been the way Mike reformed or shaped up. Like they went different paths. Like Scott shaped up in order to use his skills as an assassin for right. the good guys. And Mike could have shaped up to say, I'm going to use my skills as a don't care, just want to do the right thing politician. All right. So speaking of Scott, I'm going to put them him in what's aged the worst. I'll agree. In terms of not not like Scott Coleman, the character that we know and love, starting in whenever he shows up again, but the use of Scott as the villain, yeah. as age the worst. It's just it's so out of character. It's not him. I maybe that's why like I've been pounding this like you know term limits is not a, is not a good book narrative because because that just keeps and every time I was thinking about it we were probably talking about Scott in another book, you know? So we're learning more about him and this just, it's, it's just so out of place. It's, it's, it's so weird. And, but I, I like the idea that Vince has come up with this assassin who wants to do this, you know, yeah. like I don't like someone like the ransom notes kind of weird. And like, you know, like some of the things that they do and how they like, <laughs> how they lay out their demands and how the demands don't really make sense, you know, minus the minutia, like this idea of having this assassin that's going to impose term limits, wants term limit, you know, like never says they want term limits. Uh, like that's cool, interesting, but that character doesn't have to be Scott Coleman, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he could have been uh, another friend of Michael O'Rourke's. He could have been another friend of Michael O'Rourke's, you know? Right. I'm going to agree with you. And again, okay. I know I'm changing my tune. I'm playing a little bit of different music here, but. I tried to rationalize it in my mind for so long. You know, I've said it. Stansfield made such an impact on Scott by forgiving him on that beach where he killed Mike Nance, where Scott just flipped the switch and said, I'll work for this guy. Um, the Scott of today is a very, very different person from the Scott in term limits. And characters age. People change, people grow, people evolve. But this is too much. You're right. (laughs) 
he's almost come a complete arc that's not a good like a believable arc right now he's this jokester putting his feet up you know in the kiddie pool on this op in africa counting off the dollars he's making from nicholas ward <laughs> and it, and and it, what, how many years earlier 15 whatever he's picking off the speaker of the house because he has a grudge about paying down the national debt like right it's bizarre and so two things one how many times is it brought up you know again that i think it definitely is brought up like mitch it says something happened in the past but after that, it's just dropped, you know, like never mentioned again that, that Scott should be in jail. Um, <laughs> second, do you think because it seems that and we mentioned this a couple episodes ago, Kyle has latched on to Scott as a character that he likes as opposed to Mike Nash is a character that maybe he didn't like or, you know, didn't connect with. So he sort of wrote him out of his books has the way Kyle writes Scott, has that sort of adapted how we think about him? Or did you, also, did you also see Vince sort of changing him over time? It's really interesting. I, I'd have to go back and dig a bit deeper into the late Vince Scott. Like, I can't really remember all that much about Scott in... I guess The Last Man, though, I can remember because... They were there together on that op with Louis Gould. Right. So, and Scott was kind of funny, I think, at some points in that yeah. scene. He was on the roof, I think, with Louis. I think there were some comedic moments there. So, maybe Kyle just picked up that, that Vince also purposefully molded and shifted Scott and made him this humorous kind of sidekick character but who can also slit your throat uh, when you're not looking. I don't know. That's a real interesting question. Was this just Scott's destiny because of who he was and becoming older? Just what was going to happen anyway? That's a good question. Although, however you read into that, you go back to term limits and it's just downright strange. It is. It is. It's just. It's hard to. Ra we can say a bunch of things to rationalize it, but it's just downright strange. Like, it no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's just weird. It is. You're right. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. On the topic of whether Scott Coleman ages well, though, I will say some of the writing in this book is among Vince's finest. I might say this passage, which is crazy to think was the first chapter, the second or third page Vince ever wrote, just might hold up. As one of my all-time favorite Vince passages. Interesting. Tell me if you agree with that. Listen to this. He had lost track of the number of people he had killed in the service of his country. He had not intentionally blocked the tally from his mind. It was just something he had never bothered to calculate. Whatever the number was, he held no regrets for the men he had killed. They were honorless, evil psychopaths, killers of innocent civilians. The solitary figure sitting in front of the fire was an assassin of assassins, an exporter of death, trained and funded by the U.S. government. His short blonde hair glowed as he stared deeper and deeper into the flames, the crisp fire eventually turning into a hypnotic blur. Tomorrow, he would kill for the first time on American soil. The times, places, and targets had all been chosen. In less than 24 hours, 
the course of American politics would be changed forever. That's one of Vince's finest. Uh, that's powerful. No, you're right. No, that's really good. You, you could tell that there's like he's obviously it's you know first time out of the gate, but he's got something there. He's he's good. He shows potential. So, oh yeah, assassin of assassins, exporter of death. Yeah, that one line is just like that's fucking awesome. <laughs> Those like what was that six words might be some of the, his best words in the whole series, and it's on like page two of his debut. Right. Book. Right. Yeah. I love that. Even let's leave Scott out. Let's say this is just some other random character who we don't have as much emotional attachment to now. Right. Let's say it's a random character who writes this ransom letter and makes these demands and these phone calls saying, I'll kill more people if you don't. One of the things was ridiculous. One was a 2% tax. You raise taxes to pay (laughs) down the national debt. None of that makes any sense. And there were other couple of other demands. What else does he say in this letter? Oh, and then Michael O'Rourke's push for the rural electrification project. Okay, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, does that have any bearing on anything at all? Like, it seems to be a big, huge sticking point of. I guess it's a symbol of pork. Yeah, and he wants the he wants to trim the fat and cut the pork. So that one's more a symbolic ask. But the ask of the assassins is just. It is the worst ransom letter I've ever seen. Well, I, I just think that like Vince maybe went into way too many specifics on mm-hmm. like, you know, saying what Michael or like a, a, a super specific niche thing that he wouldn't vote a bill on, you know, like and then having these ransom letters, the demands be, you know, very highly specific. It's probably like just, you know, early writing, you know, that that's just a thing that down the road you, you wouldn't be as specific. You would be a little bit more, you know, vague or, you know, a little more creative. And, and I, I don't know. You could definitely, we talked about this when we, when we first did the pod, like you could tell it's, it's his first book, you know, there, there's some learning, learning curve. That's true. And I think the other thing there that maybe rubbed me the wrong way about how Washington worked was. That ransom note all of a sudden led to led to congressmen and senators immediately questioning, oh, maybe we should meet some of the demands of the assassins, or maybe the assassin is making a, a, a good point here. I, I don't understand how one seemingly uneducated and semi-illiterate ransom letter all of a sudden gets half the Congress to want to have a debate over whether they should actually like legislate right. and act, put those changes into action. Like right. they weren't afraid of being assassinated because as scary as it might be, they're not going to just change their politics and vote differently on a budget bill because of a couple of people being assassinated. They might be scared, but it's not honestly going to change how they vote in Congress. Yet all of a sudden you got half of Washington asking, Oh, maybe we should back off the president's budget bill and not vote because the assassin's asking for something reasonable. I I was I felt like I was being duped the way Washington was adjusting to this ransom letter. It's just unrealistic in terms of how it would actually go down. So, man, we got to stop talking because I keep wanting to lower my rating the, the the more we go. So we we need something good here, and and it's almost the perfect time to bring this up. You know what is amazing about this book? End lasts and ages and is thankfully brought back later on. 
Stu Garrett and his bullshit. <laughs> I love I love when he comes back. Brilliant. And then he dies again, it, or dies like for real this time. Like that, the the that, what 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 book is that? Um, with Agent Rivera, he's killed in Protect and Defend in the beginning, but he's playing the fool in Act of Treason. Right. Yes. How much does it speak to that he's an amazing character? That after however many thrillers I have read, Stu Garrett is still probably he might be number one. On just people in thrillers that you love to hate, that you just want to bash and knock their lights out. He's still number one in every thriller book I've ever read. He's just a pest. And I think that speaks to how he was written right off the bat from Vince's, you know, first book. He's a slime ball. He's a sleaze ball. He's a backstabber. He everything. has no spine. Like, he's everything. Just, he's also interesting. And you, know, you, just, you, and you could believe it. Right. And yeah, that's the thing. It. It's it's hyper realistic. So like you you, exactly. you can see someone on the hill being or you know in Washington being this guy, you know? So I think that that's why it's it's even more creepy and more, you know, you want to read it, you know. I I would I would read a story just about Stu Garrett. Right. And he's misogynistic and you could see how real those conversations must be. Right. You know, they leave out Anne Moncor, the press secretary, and he berates her, belittles her. Almost everything he does, you're like, it, it's hyper realistic. That's it. That's it. Yeah. For being the worst, he's one of the best things about the book. <laughs> I know. I know. One of the other things that's aged the best, you know, is just all the good guys like in this book that continue to to show up, you know, throughout their novels. Like, we see Irene for the first time. Freaking Thomas Stansfield on the beach. Like, even though that scene is, like, freaking crazy, like, it's still badass, you know? <laughs> And and obviously we already talked about Skip. Just the fact that we we get them again isn't also this book where we we find out that Stansfield has you know this file of all you know it just sets him up as like being this looming presence over Washington and, and mm-hmm. it really shows how powerful he is and then the legacy he's going to then leave for Ed Kennedy to inherit and how looming and powerful she will be and the reason why she's she's still in office like today you know in in, in the current books so and you can contrast that with arthur higgins who stansfield took his job right and arthur had a grudge because he thought stansfield you know pushed him out as he was rising up the ranks but it just goes to show that stansfield one-upped him he deserved to be pushed out he was doing shady black op stuff which is the same stuff stansfield would later do (laughs) But in a way that is grounded in necessity and not grounded in like narcissism. You know, Arthur Higgins was greenlighting some of these things because, you know, he loved it. He probably got off on it. And he he loved the shady, sneaky world of Mike Nance. He's got the, you know, um, the guy from DOD, you know, in his pocket. And he loved that stuff where Stansfield, he just loves America and wants to protect it. So he's doing some of the same shady stuff as Arthur Higgins. But in a way we can all get behind. Right. Right. Anything else? Uh, age the worst, age the best? Yeah. Let's just talk action. I think for a first time thriller writer, the helicopter scene is uh, awesome. meticulous. We, it's, I think we went like 20, 25 minutes on, on the pod uh, on that yeah. scene. Yeah, that's an awesome scene. 
Oh, man, between the geography of it and all the locations of D.C., even these very niche ones that were done perfectly, the operational side of it, of just how well Seamus and Scott had this planned out, putting transponders, you know, in a media van so that the media can't turn off the feed and that they see which which chopper the president's on, the tech specs, Vince definitely was leaning into some Tom Clancy, you know, kind of expertise here you could tell vince really wanted to get the details and the specs right on the choppers perfectly done scene yeah i loved it what other action is there though now that i come to think of it the abridged version didn't didn't give us much action oh the hit on arthur higgins's house right there's that that's a big one strobel you know they do some canvassing and take take him down and then capture mike nance isn't there like a boat scene too where like they have to get away from the house like scott has to and then they have to like sink the boat right yep yep because who did they take that's when they took that's when they took arthur higgins he had a a tracker on him for his security people and actually the cia was watching him too because of all the secrets that he you know he had his he was like a Who's the guy from Last Man and Survivor? He's like a Joe Rickman. The CIA right. needs to know where that person is and who they're talking to because all the stuff in their head can you don't want that on the black market. So yeah, they sink the boat or they at least sink uh his clothing in a backpack so that they can't trace where they're taking his body. Which is how they get the confession. He basically gives up that he was working with Nance and Garrett. Right. Oh, and also you mentioned that the bridge dropped it, but the whole, you know, TV tower scene with the killing yeah. the, the speaker of the house. Yeah. That's true. That's one of the best action scenes in the book. Yeah. No, like the, the, the action and like based off of that, the research and the research and the geography as a friggin' two DC guys, it's just awesome. Like reading that stuff. I I love, especially when you get it right and it's good. Yeah. No, no this, this book is good. I'm, I, this, this is, this is a good book. It's just, when you come full circle and you've now read the whole series and you look back at it, it's, I think it's on the lower end, you know? I also, because we talked with Chris Howdy a few weeks ago, a couple other people with their debut thrillers have been awesome recently. I read Connor Sullivan's The Sleeping Bear. I feel like debut books now, 2022, are a little different. Maybe it's social media, how quickly word can spread about them. So you really got to nail it. Because if you want that initial jolt of of sales and buzz and excitement, you've got to get some of the influencers really digging and pushing your book. So how do you feel Term Limits holds up as a debut book? I don't know. I feel like... The bar has been raised, I think, by a lot of recent authors that I, I'm not sure how this one would hold up in like a modern context. Maybe that's a dumb exercise to do, but it's a good book. It's not a great book, and I feel like you have to come out of the gate swinging. Yeah, it's kind of hard to say that with this because of like the tech has changed and this book came out in what 1997 so like the times have changed and obviously it was probably very prescient to the to the times when it was written but i will argue 
that is a day if you want to think of transfer of power as a debut book that one stands the test of time as as a much as a stronger debut book yeah, much, much stronger. stronger so i guess it goes without saying i don't know if i would ever recommend term limits to somebody to get them into vince flynn no i i i wouldn't i would say you should read it but wait wait a couple books you know like yeah maybe like if you wanted to start with american assassin read those two yeah go up until maybe Stansfield's death yeah and then you know like the end of third option yeah i i think you want to read it after definitely american assassin transfer power third option for sure especially third option you might really get like some some clues filled in about characters like Stansfield and Scott and whatnot. Scott, yeah, exactly. But you probably don't want to read Memorial Day and Consent to Kill. I feel like so much is happening with Mitch by then. You you want to be just in the arc of Mitch. Sure. Where going yeah. back to this book would be like, wait, but what happened? All that really deep stuff that's been going on with Mitch lately. Before you get into that, this could be a good one. Yeah, I'd probably set put it in right after the third option, right before separation. Yeah. Let me ask you this question, and I don't mean to be political about it. How do you think term limits fares in a post-January 6th world? Does it ultimately Ooh. maybe <laughs> look bad for the thriller verse? I mean, just you know how sensitive things are now and or even a Trump presidency. Let's change it. You know, how does this book seem after a Trump presidency or a a social media America where we're all divided or a, you know, summer of 2020 America. Like, I don't like, is it right to be reading books about these assassinations? Killing politicians? Yeah. Like, I feel like we're just too, one, hypersensitive. We're too uh, diametrically opposed to anybody who disagrees with us. We don't know how to have dialogue anymore. Does this book maybe teach us a lesson about that? Or is it just cannon fodder for one side to, blame the other side yeah that's a that's a tough question again because the time it was written i, I don't think it would right. have been obviously you know they didn't have social media back then um i don't know it's 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 a work of fiction so it is what it is yeah i mean if you're going to read it and then and then and then use it as your manifesto to go you know recreate what scott coleman did then i i don't necessarily agree with that but uh I, I don't, I don't think that people will will do that. So I don't know. Yeah, it's probably a dumb question because first rule being a historian, don't apply current day standards to analyze or evaluate events <laughs> of the past. But yeah, right, right. Hey, it's just it's just interesting, you know. Do I think this book would have been written the way it was now? Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All right, so with some of that banter out of the way, let's go back to our original rating. <laughs> oh, God. Are you going to make an adjustment here from your original B, a B on the letter scale, and a 7 on the 1 through 10 scale? H how are you feeling about that? So, I don't know. We, we were so weird for the first couple books and how we did this rankings scores whatever and i guess this could just be a primer to talk about 
now what what we're going to do next week in terms of it's finally it's time we gotta we're going to revisit all the books well not revisit them but we're going to re-rank all the books give you our final rankings next week in what will be our our last pod for for the moment until we get another book but yeah just looking at all of our scores we were really harsh one a b and a seven don't make sense together that a seven should <laughs> a seven should be a C, uh, a C minus, I guess. Um, so I'm not going to change the B. I think it's a B book. Mm-hmm. I will change the seven, and I think it's like you know an eighty, like it's a solid, you know, B minus, B B minus, so eighty two, yeah. right on right on that fringe. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. You also gave it a B plus and gave it a seventy five. So like that again doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, and, and just. We got to shout out Daryl, one of our patrons. Daryl has been helping us out, putting some thought into our new rating system because we need a revised rating system for season oh, yeah. two. Se- season two is going to have like actual, you know, we don't want to get like too, you know, critical about it, but it will have like parameters. Like it'll be on a five point scale or like some sort of point scale. We haven't like said that yet. Yeah. And like the books can earn points by right. hitting certain marks, and like the cover will be a point, you know, like or have a part a of whatever, that. exactly a part of that. Yes, we'll have more specific rubric and criteria. A rubric, in- yes, instead of you and I just winging it. <laughs> so what we're saying is, we will try to act like real podcasters and actual people who are good at this. So we'll shape up for you. We'll shape up. So thank you, Daryl. Daryl's definitely thrown us some ideas for season two on how to do that better all right so b plus i'm keeping that an a minus just uh, i don't think it's that book the seven five seven five seems a little low i'm I'm gonna bump that though to i'm actually gonna go like eight i don't want to go eight five it seems too high but that would be a b plus yeah all right i'm gonna go around eight four eight five eight four yeah we're, we're right yeah. about the same like it's not an a plus know. it's just a cut below Excuse me, it's not an A minus, just a cut below an A minus. So that begs the question, where do you think it's going to fall in the top five, bottom five, middle of the pack? Uh, I think it's bottom five. Oh, really? It, or it's like just cracked the bottom five, you know, just outside the bottom five. It's hard. There's so many good books, man. It's true. It's true. Yeah, at some point you you gotta you gotta put them at the bottom. It's clearly middle of the pack for me, but I have zero 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 interest in putting it bottom five. It's not top five. It's not bottom five. It might come down to some individual battles, a lot of back and forth. But I can't wait for next week. It's gonna I, be so I, fun. I think it might get a top ten spot. Wow! See, that's that's I, big. I think it might. That's big. Okay. Okay. I, I really do. I, I, you know, I've right, given well, lower we'll, than a B plus a couple of times. So, not yeah, but not that many times. See, that's the thing. You know, that's true. Mm. All right, I think it's it's a serious contender for top ten. It's really going to be giving a few a run for their money to try to crack that top ten. But I'm not settled on it yet. So. All right, well, I haven't officially looked at all the all of the books and thought about it again, so it may be a little bit higher. But it's right now it's trending below middle of the back. No, you're you're right though, because off the off the top of my head, 
you're right. I'm struggling to find what's lower than pursuit of honor. Right. So let's executive right, power, let's... total power. I'm like, ah, I, mm, I don't know what else I'm going to put in the bottom five. See, that's the problem. Darn crap. Maybe executive um, separation of power. No, I like separation of power. This is hard. Ooh, man. We got a lot of work to do. We got a lot of work to do for next week. Maybe order to kill might. Uh, but then the Scott scene, the Grisha Scott scene is so damn good. Oh, this is red war. Hard. Red war. All right, red red war. I'll say maybe is flirting with like spot fifteen. Yeah, sixteen, seventeen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. Sorry, guys. All right. <laughs> All right, so we we got we got we got some work to do for next week, but that's going to be a fun episode. I'm excited. It's kind of bittersweet to say that that might be for the time being our our last Mitch Rap Pod episode. It is what it is. Lions of Lucerne is calling. Like you said, you finished it. I finished it. Polish up my notes. Pull out some quotes. Jot down a limerick. And guys. Sometime in the first week or two of April, get ready on your favorite podcast player. Search for season two, the Scott Harvath podcast. We'll be dropping that over the next couple of weeks. Can't wait, Mike. All right, so we need to thank our patrons, our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, Daryl, Kevin, George, Matt, Dawn, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. Please subscribe, rate, and review using your favorite podcasting platform. Find us at thethrillerpod.com or on Twitter and Instagram at MitchRapPod. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch. Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster. But thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Guerrilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.